Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Salad Cast. Back on the podcast is Chris. How are you doing, Chris? Pretty good, thank you, Ollie. If I can actually remember to find the unmute button on my computer so that you can hear me. But yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Uh, I think we might have a few things to talk about today. It feels like there, you know, there's actually been some news in the last few days after a week or two of you know near silence from Montgomery Waters Meadow. There's been a bit of smoke this week, so we have a few things to discuss. Yeah, no, it's good Good to have some news finally. Um, the days have been slow in terms of news and find out what's going on at the club. So it's good to be back. And welcome back on the podcast, Andy. It's been a while, but we are really pleased to have you on the on the podcast this week. Uh, yeah, good afternoon, chaps. Hope you're well. Cheers, having you on, Andy. It's good to get your be good to get your insight as well as we go through this podcast. So the, we've got three main topics to talk about this week. The first one is um, the appointment of a director of football. Mickey Moore is joined from Cheltenham, so that's an interesting discussion point. We talk about Steve Cottrell, um, his future, will he be with Shrewsbury Town? And then we have the retain list. So we've got some some interesting points there. Who's stayed, who's going? Um, and have a bit of a discussion about the youth team as well. And, and we've got some good questions from fans on Twitter as well. So thanks everyone for putting those in. So yeah, let's just jump straight into it. And Mickey Moore joined Shrewsbury Town. It felt like something like two weeks, Chris, was it? From when we heard about him going to join and then he had the interview and then it was another week or eight, nine days, something like that, from when we actually heard that he'd signed. Um, but yeah, finally that was done. And yeah, thank God for John Palmer, um, who we actually plan to get on the podcast in the future, will give us a much more deep insight into Mickey Moore. So we're not going to go into too much detail his background because we can cover that at a future date. But Chris, yeah, good that we had John Palmer. And yeah, shows you that local journalists still have a place in football because if it wasn't for him, we'd have been completely in the dark. We'd have been in the dark and completely confused, wouldn't we? Because, yeah, I think the news that we'd approached more came out just before the last game of the season from John Palmer. I'm pretty sure, for understandable reasons, to be fair, that Shrewsbury probably wouldn't have said anything about that. You know, you probably don't announce when you've made an approach for somebody. But at the same time, the season would have come and gone and we'd have seen no retained list. We'd have seen nothing coming out from the club at all. And I think we'd have all been very puzzled about what's been going on. And, you know, with the lack of information we have had, there's been rumours everywhere. But I imagine what those rumours might have looked like if we didn't have any idea of the plan, because at least we had some kind of idea of what was maybe going on behind closed doors. We've done a little tiny little bit of digging um, about Mickey Moore. I spoke to a couple of contacts I have um, who work in the game. Um, from what I've heard so far, he's got a good reputation as a director of football. Um, and probably the best example we have of that really is, is the work that he's done at Cheltenham, um, bringing them up into League One, um, possibly performing, overperforming in terms of the size of their club and the average attendance they have. It's about 4,000, 3,000, Chris, if I remember correctly. Um, so they're doing well um, in League One. And he's obviously not only has he got the team and has obviously played a big part in um, the development of Cheltenham, but also done a really good job of coaching managers as well. Um, so obviously, Barnsley, current, currently Barnsley manager, came through Cheltenham and is doing a fantastic job there as well. Yeah, Mickey Moore's CV, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? He's um, lots of experience as a coach, uh, a little bit of experience as a manager, and then this spell at Cheltenham where he went in as head of recruitment and kind of moulded that job to become director of football. And as you say, they were near the foot of League Two when he arrived, and they're now an established League One club. So it's a record he can be proud of, and I guess that that's uh, attracted Roland Witchley as well. I guess that's part of the reason he's, he's, got, he's decided to do this, because he's probably looked at Cheltenham, seen them as a club punching above their weight and thought, what can we do at Shrewsbury Town to a, sustain ourselves at this level initially and then maybe look to push on in the future? We also have to punch above our weight. To an extent, we've been doing that. But if we're going to push on, we need to do it even more. So presumably the powers that be at the Meadow have decided that somebody like Mickey is the best way to do that. 
Yeah, and before we jump into kind of the role, Andy, um, there's been quite a few rumours going around on on Twitter and, and social media and the usual places. Are you surprised we brought in a director of football? Do you think it's a good thing? Yeah, in terms of the director of football model, um, I think it's a good direction to go. I just think um, we should have involved um, the club manager in that process. Um, I thought the timing was awkward. Um, I think it'll be debilitating for us going forward in terms of we've seen the retain list being late, but also attracting players and I think it'll be difficult. Um, but I think going forward, his, his CV is a good one. It's something that would fit the model of our club and clearly somewhere where our chairman sees us financially and the level financially he wants to compete at. Yeah, I think the fact that Steve Kutcher wasn't involved um, is a, a cause of concern, not necessarily in the decision to employ a director of football. I think that's the one for the chairman to make. But the fact that he blindsided Steve Cottrell, knowing full, full well he's going to be put in front of the media, um, especially as we put an announcement out on the game of the Bristol Rovers games that we've discussed already. So that was poor. Um, but yeah, interesting one, director football model. Um, we'll come on to Steve Cottrell a bit later. Obviously, Steve Cottrell likes to have control of recruitment and lots of other things in the club. He, he made us change kit and um, things like this. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how he likes the the recruitment of a of a director of football. Um, yeah, not everyone seems on on Twitter. From what I've seen, everyone kind of understands the role of director of football. Um, maybe Andy, I don't know if you want to have a first stab. What's what's your understanding of a director of football role, and and what will it mean potentially for Steve Cottrell? <laughs> There's two ways to look at it. I can understand Steve Cottrell's approach. I think you want to be a master of your own destiny. So whether it is the kit or the training ground or where you stay in a hotel, what bus company you use, what time you arrive at the ground, how many players you have, what sort of cash level you're operating at, what the bonus system looks like, all that absolutely should be within the manager's remit if that is your model. The director of football will take on a a whole host of roles. Um, I think it's different in in lots of clubs. The nuances are different. But certainly from a negotiating contracts, um, the scouting network, looking at who we bring in, who we don't bring in, um, the retain list, there's a lot more working as a tandem as opposed to working alone. It's a, it's a huge difference to what we've currently got. Um, but it is different at every club in terms of the role. If you look at somewhere like Manchester City um, compared to somewhere uh, that potentially is going to be Shrewsbury Town, the role will be different. Um uh, but that relationship, I would I would suggest, has to be solid. Um, your director of football and manager have to be together on the same page and share the same football values. Um, now, I just don't think we're going to get a chance to see that marriage happen at Shrewsbury, unfortunately. Yeah, director of football role um, is a is a new one. It's I think also the British version of director of football is is quite different, probably to a European version as well. My understanding of the director of football role, um, in its simplest terms, is yeah, you take you are responsible for recruitment in partnership with the manager, but you take the lead with it. As you say, Andy, you do the negotiations with the players. You also set up the recruitment structure in terms of scouting, um, but then also crucially as well, director of football will also oversee the development of youth players and ideally have youth players come into your first team. You know, not sign three left backs who are in their late twenties when you've got a young kid coming through youth youth academy and make sure that pathway is there as well. Um, which is in, in stark contrast to what Steve Cottrell has said he's liked in, in the press before. I think the interesting part for me is there are so many games in League One. There are so many cup games. There are so many requirements of a manager to prepare a team. 
how can a manager in today's game spend enough time on recruitment if you are a full-time football manager so for me that's maybe where kind of the benefit really comes is you kind of have you outsource the recruitment effectively split the role away from the old school english manager into into a person who's full-time looking at this kind of area so maybe that's an area chris that we can have a, a gain and improvement going forward yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read quite a lengthy article about Mickey Moore, actually, that I found online. I did share it for those who follow on Twitter. He talked about his role and how it worked at Cheltenham. And it was interesting that under Duff, he made it very clear that while he led on recruitment, they never signed any player that they didn't agree on together. So it's not like the manager wasn't involved. It's not like Duff was sitting there waiting to be given his squad. He absolutely had input into it. And that's probably how it should be. And, I, you know, Duff is quite a strong character as well from what we can see of him. I don't think he'd have accepted the job if he was just going to be told who he has to sign, as it were. But what I think the difference is that very much more did the legwork. He put the groundwork in. He had his team set up to go and look at those players. And there's an element of trust there, isn't it? Because I think what he did say in that piece I read this, they would sign players that Duff hasn't necessarily seen play because Duff trusted more. So they'd have those conversations and say, you know, we want this type of player. This guy's right for us. And Duff would listen to that and they'd sign on that basis. Whereas Cottrell has always made it very clear that he's not going to sign a player that he hasn't watched himself and he hasn't had a conversation with himself. He's almost taught in the past, doesn't he, about looking in their eyeballs. He wants to know them as human beings. Interestingly, I think Moore's approach to recruitment sounded quite similar to Cotterell's and that he also said he likes to do his homework, not in just not just into their football, but into their character, into their personality. So that's stuff where he is aligned with Cotterell. But I it's a bit like Andy. I can't see Cotterell working in that model simply because he's such a strong character himself. And I'm not sure he'd be willing to delegate that trust to someone else and take their word for it. But you know, time might prove me wrong on that. But all, all the evidence so far suggests that, as Andy said, that's a marriage we might not see. So where did Keith Burt fit into all this thing? Because my understanding was that he was operating the scout network and he was going to be the guy that identified players. And I, I agree with all that. I think character is hugely important in the dressing room. And I think that's what creates your team spirit. And I think we've been beneficiaries of that, particularly this year. Um, but I expected a lot more from him. It's OK, you know, the Shea Dunkleys, the, um, the people that he's brought into the club, they were well-known players. There was very few secrets behind them players, were there? Where's the... Where's the other side of the coin where you're looking at potential uh, and youth and that side yeah. of it? Keith Burt had to be. I don't understand that dynamic. That's the bit that really puzzles me. Yeah, the recruitment side, the current recruitment model is interesting, isn't it? So Keith Burt, who was the head of recruitment, resigned on the last day of the season. I'm reliably informed we only had two part-time scouts um, working. So you've got Steve Cottrell, Keith Burt and two part-time scouts. That was our recruitment team. Um, and yeah, you, as you allude to out there, Andy, we were basically signing players from the championship. The last player we signed from League Two was Ryan Bowman. Um, and, you know, probably still a well-known player given his scoring record in League Two was pretty good. So, yeah, it's, it's potentially it's going to be a different approach, maybe an approach that we've seen in the past where we sign players from lower leagues rather than just signing championship players, um, potentially on higher wages. So it's a, an interesting move for the club to move away. I think Bert did contribute, though, in terms of, yes, I know what you're saying about the Shea Dunkleys of this world, but, the, you know, Bob Bert, discovered, you would assume it was Bert who found Og better for us. I'm imagining Bert was involved in the Tom Bayliss deals and the Jordan Shipley deals. Now, yes, they've come from higher division clubs, but they weren't maybe such high profile players. 
Um, I, I'm assuming that he's been involved in those deals. And clearly, Cotterill did have a relationship of trust with him. And you know, we talk about the trust he'd have to have to work with Moore. He doesn't know Moore, whereas he's known Bert for, by the sounds of it, 20, 20 odd years or whatever it is. So they've built that relationship of trust. And I suppose that's, I don't think Cotterill does that easily. I think he's a man who's maybe slow to trust. And, you know, that's that, that's not a criticism. I think that's just uh, the way he works as an individual, which is why I can't see him working with more. I think it would take a long time for them to build that relationship. No, I agree with all that. I, I get that side of it. But I think it's a bit like, um, if I can make a comparison to the NFL, where you've got a salary cap, so you can have sort of four or five star players, and then you've got your core of experienced players. But you're all always... Always, always have to supplement that with some lower earning potential, uh, and we just we haven't explored that side of it, have we? We've just gone without the numbers, and we've hit that sort of top two levels, but nothing at the, at the bottom end that really pads out your your squad, really, um, and, and yeah. is an investment in the future. Because if you're attracting the right kind of youth and, and potential, you're potentially going to make money out of it going forward, aren't you? And that's really our our business model is it has to be our business model for years and years. We sold one player a year, whether it was Goldson or Ryan Woods, and, and we made that sort of supplemented that year, didn't it? That made the books. And let's be honest, there's no one in our squad who has any resale value. There's no one. So mm-hmm. you might say, yeah, George Nurse is good and O'Day, but they've only got one year left. You can only have value in the player if you have players who have longer term contracts. Bayless, so who, how long's Bayless got left? He's got another another year with an extension it, option. Yeah, so, he's so I, I'm, I'm being a little bit extreme, but you know we don't have Ryan Woods, Connor Goldson, Joe Hart, anyone like that coming through. Or you look at some other teams, you know, where we sign a player and they push on. You know, sign a player. Last time we did, it, I guess we was Og better. So give credit to Keith Berg and Steve Cottrell. That was under their their reign. We did get Og better, but yeah, we haven't signed anyone of that ilk in the last um, twelve months or so. Uh, which is an in- interesting, interesting position, and yeah, the chairman has spoken at length on the on the, the few statements they've made about budget. You know, we need it's alluding to that we need to rein it in. So it's going to be interesting that obviously we're going to go down this different path now, focus on budget um, and keep playing, sticking to our means, but then also having a, a director of football um, coming in, and obviously here's one of his big ambitions and targets must be to to get those players into the into the squad Andy they're going to help us either our own youth players but if not maybe recruiting players from from either other teams from academy teams um, and also from league 2 and, and below yeah i think that has to be the way forward i think for, for us as a club and where we are with our fan base and our model i think that's that's got to be the way forward and, I, and I, that excites me to be honest i would love to see some youth uh, injection into our squad i think it would be great and i'd love to see uh, I think you referenced the other day the under-15s and 16s have done well this year at, at sort of youth level, and <clears throat> that might take a few years to bear fruit, but um, it would be nice to see that. I think that's a real that's going to be a real life good for our clubs. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's you know, I decided to have a few good young players coming through, um, and we'll come on to the squad later, but we do have a good foundation to work with as well. One thing I just want to talk about, something you mentioned, Andy, was timing. Um, and I asked again, asked a couple of guys who I know work in football, um, just to kind of sense-check myself, and I was, I was asking the question, is this the worst time to kind of change your football structure? Um, and the answer I got was yes, because, you know, when we did it, it was like basically after the last day of the season, coming into the retain list period, you know, by this time last year and the year before, we'd signed Luke Leahy and Shipley. So it's going to be interesting to see 
obviously Moore took his time to take the job, which has put himself under a little bit more pressure, only, only days, not weeks. But it's going to be interesting to see what he does now because he's under pressure now. Yes, we've got a solid base to work from, but Chris, there's a lot of players he needs to sign in, in this period now. And he's, I think we're, well, I think it's fair to say we're behind the curve. Yeah, I. It, it was portrayed as he's taken a long time to accept the job. To be fair, we don't really know what happened there. There's been hints that the retain list was possibly done a few days earlier than it looked like from comments players have made. You know, I think Jade and Bevan put something on Twitter saying now that it's been made public, uh, it suggested he'd known for some time. So, you know, you do wonder if Moore had already accepted the job and was possibly doing things, but for, for reasons that we don't yet know, it couldn't be announced at that point. Possibly compensation with Cheltenham, who knows? But I do wonder if, you know, maybe he didn't take as he didn't take as long as it was portrayed. Are we behind the curve? Very possibly. You know, by this time last year, we'd already signed Shipley, as you said, year before we'd signed Leahy. So things were happening. Again, you'd like to think things are happening right now. So, you know, we might be not as far behind the curve as it looks. And other clubs as well are only just putting out their retain list. I saw Accrington's has been announced today. And there was a couple of other football league clubs yesterday, teams that finished at the same weekend disaster. For, and they've not even changed their manager, but their retain list has only just come out. So I'm not going to panic about that. I do think there's time to sort it out. And it depends as well, I think. how We don't know what's going on with the manager, but clearly Mickey Moore does. And you know that might be more stable behind the scenes than we know. There might, whether that's Cottrell or someone else, there could be things in place that we don't know about. So, while at the minute I suppose I'm nervous, I'll be, I'll, I'll I wait to hear what's happening on that front because it could be that there's more going on than we know. And all the way through this, I think that's there always has been more going on than we let know because Shrewsbury Down don't seem to be that bothered about letting their supporters know what's going on a lot of the time. No, I, I completely agree. I think more concerning than the retain list is. The attracting talent list, that's my concern. I think clubs that are not involved in the playoffs, typically by the middle of May, have got targets and have had conversations already with players. Um, and, and I think those relationships begin to build and they start to talk about numbers and potential and who's who else is joining the club and what's the vision and where are we going. And um, clearly, I don't think this year those conversations will have taken place given the instability at the club. Um, and, and rather than the retain list, I think... If you're not involved in promotion, relegation or, or playoffs, by sort of four or five games out of the season, you'll typically know whether you're getting the contract or not. And I think it's the, um, the incomings that concerns me more. Yeah, I'm concerned about that as well. I was chatting to my, my mate asking, um, you know, when do they start on summer recruitment? Um, and in terms of like full-time focus, it starts as soon as the, the January window closes. So we're a few months behind, but it's not like that... Um, Mickey Moore has not been working in football. He's been a, a director of football of a, of a rival league one side. So at least he'll have the contacts and the details and he'll obviously have a good, you know, good knowledge database to move over with. Um, the question is, the big question for me is, you know, what's he recruiting for? Is he recruiting for Steve Cottrell and a, a three, five, two wing back formation with a number 10 and two strikers, or is he doing something else? Um, so for me, that's a big question as well as, you know, what's he actually going to recruiting for? Um, before we move on to that, just quickly, um, just kind of covering off in terms of, you know, we had a good question from Tim Lawrence on, on Twitter. And Andy, I'll go to you first. So he said, what's the best examples in any league of a director of football working? So, you know, any examples come to mind for you? Um, I don't know about director of football. Is it? Is, what, what have Lincoln City done over the last couple of years? Have they... 
Yeah, they have, they have a first-team coach as well. Um, and another team that comes to mind as well is Luton as well. So both those two teams have a, a director of football, head of recruitment, and a first-team coach. Um, so, yeah, that's, Lincoln is a good example, I think, of a team that's progressed. Yeah, I think they're slightly slightly bigger in terms of the fan base at the minute, isn't it? Yeah. They've had recent sort of years of success. But I would say that they are a, a, a good sort of blueprint for a community club um, that, that sort of sits a little bit isolated in the in geographically. But they, I think that's what we should be kind of aiming for, I guess. I think another one, to be fair, is Cheltenham, where we've just brought our own from. I mean, we've, we've already talked about their trajectory. When Moore arrived there, they were low, lower in League Two and looking at battling relegation and went on to make the playoffs, then win the league, and now obviously, and then establish in League One. And also, it's that continuity, isn't it? You talk about the director of football role. The idea is that if the manager leaves, you're not st- you're not tearing everything up and starting again if you've got that director of football. And Cheltenham are kind of proof of that as well, because 12 months ago, they lost Michael Duff. He left them at the end of the season and took the Barnsley job, and they appointed Wade Elliott as our rookie manager. And yet he had Mickey Moore there to support him. And it meant that recruitment work was already underway and they weren't starting from scratch. And the result with that is that, you know, they, they largely matched their previous season. They finished 15th last season and 16th this season. So once again, they've done pretty well. And they, I think that they've surprised a few people, possibly. I think a lot of people, we did our prediction pod, Ollie, and I think I was one of them who had Cheltenham to go down this time because my instinct was Duff will go. Elliot probably won't be a Michael Duff and they'll struggle. But actually... The model seems to have worked for them and they've been able to not if not kick on at least you know tread water stay where they were which is in itself success for them i would say at this point yeah i'd agree and charlton's a good example and for me the best one is, is luton punching above their weight in the championship going to a playoff final could get into the premier league gone they've gone from non-league football all the way back um, to the championship and potentially the premier league on the back of a first team coach head of recruitment model um, so I think that's a club that we can look at um, and, you know, with with envy in terms of, you know, the progress they've made of the club and the, the, the ability that they've had to not only sign new players, sell them, you know, guys like Stacey went to, to Bournemouth and other players left when, all their, when they had their different style, again, then bring a new manager um, again and, and kind of continue to push on. It's who they've signed as well, isn't it, Ollie? You heard yeah. Andy earlier talked about looking down the leagues, and that's what Luton have done. You know, they've got a couple of players in that squad that we know well. You've got Jordan Clark, who I think a lot of us liked, but I would never have imagined he was a player about to be on the verge of the Premier League. They've got Carlton Morris, who did well for us on loan. But again, if you told me he was going to be potentially firing a, a side to the top flight, I'm not sure I'd have believed that. But it just shows that their recruitment team is spotting players playing in League One, League Two, that were good enough to step up to the Championship and deliver. Even before Steve Cotter, I've said all along, I think that um, the, the key to success at our level is looking the leagues below. Whether it's you know if you're in League One, looking in League Two or Conference and below, there's there's so many gems and potential down there that we just it goes untapped. I think for a long time, you know, somebody like Wimbledon, that they were bringing people in and um, you know selling them on for profit and using it to their advantage. And I think we've just never really. I think it is a challenge for us because where we are in the country, I think that there's a there is a challenge there to bring people up to the Shropshire. But um, yeah, I think it's something we really have to get behind. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I think it's fair to say we're all in in, in pretty much in favour of the director of football model and its principle. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the club performs and how this summer goes. It'll, it'll be nice to get past this period. Um, of instability um, and potential panic and and worry about where we're going as a club. Uh, I don't think the chairman's statements necessarily help that. Um, Hopefully Mickey Moore can do a good job 
you certainly have the support of the fan base and I'm reliably informed he's going to be doing um, some more interviews and stuff going forward and where we're going to find out a little bit more about his role, which I think will be good for the fan base to hear and understand what his role is. I think that leads us nicely on to Steve Cottrell. So very, very quickly, I'm just going to do a quick fire round. Um, do you think Steve Cottrell will be our manager on the first game of the season? I'll go to you, Chris. Yes or no? No. 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 And Andy? No. <laughs> and I don't think so either. Um, I don't think um, Steve Cottrell will be our manager um, because of, I think, the way that he's been treated. And while I've you know, been a critic of Steve Cottrell at times, I don't think the way that the Steve Cottrell has been treated um, in the last few weeks of the season is acceptable and how you should treat people. I don't think that's right. But I think also with Steve Cottrell's model, his way of working, um, he is a, he's an old school manager in the sense he wants to do the recruitment, but also I don't think that's fair to call him an old school manager because he talks about data, he talks about video analysis and the way he manages young players. Uh, you know, he's got the best out of Kieran Phillips and uh, Rob Street and, you know, some good young players. So I wouldn't call him a, an old school manager in terms of his coaching ability. He's a fantastic coach and probably the best tactician I've seen in my time as a Shrewsbury Town fan. But in terms of managing recruitment, I'm not sure he's going to be willing to give that up. So it's going to be really fascinating to see see what happens. And yeah, Andy, I, I guess you, yeah, building on, on your kind of your thoughts, is, do you have the same kind of thought process as me? It's going to be too much for Steve Cottrell to kind of relinquish control of recruitment? Yeah, I think there's too much water going under the bridge. Um, it sometimes frustrates me when I hear that sort of um, that phrase, you know, um, dinosaur or old school coach. It's um, don't confuse old school values with being a poor motivator, poor, poor tactician, and he's very forward thinking in terms of his methods. So I, I, sometimes I think people that have got high morals and values, and I think he's one of those people he's got a really good reputation within football I think we all saw the cantankerous side of him that was argumentative when we were getting defeats and you know the interviews were quite painful at times and all that side he's a he's a you know he's a sportsman he's a competitor and he's he's got that edge and most um, high-end competitive do have that edge um, but I think from a tactical perspective I think from a motivational perspective the ability to attract people in I think he's he's got a lot of positives and the way this is all sort of a um evolved over the last sort of few weeks and months has been for me it's left a bit of a sour taste and I'm sure it's left a sour taste with him and I would imagine that the delay has been around um, compensation and payoffs and all that I'm sure there's a there's a wrinkle or two there to add isn't there um, I, was, I was quite curious to know actually where, where do you think the club are financially in terms of the model so if you look at it as as is or as was with with the scout and with Brian Caldwell and Steve versus director of football and a new manager do you think there'll be a significant difference in cost there? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? We've obviously only got a, a, a certain amount of money to, to play with. Uh, I imagine that um, Brian was on a respectable wage. Uh, maybe the director of football's on a bit less than that and then gives a bit more money um, to either yeah, more scouts and more analysts or maybe given um, maybe more money to, to a manager. Um, I can't imagine that Steve Koch has accepted a I don't know, a rookie manager contract. So maybe there's some, obviously you've got the two sides of that one, you have to pay him off, which would maybe a high wage, but then also um, maybe we can actually use that money for somewhere else. So yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to understand how this all fits out. Um, and I think the club needs to, we're not going to wait a year to get the counts. Um, but the fact that the chairman keeps mentioning that we've overspent and are, we're out of control financially, um, is cause a concern and suggest that we've actually been, you know, 
Steve Cottrell did a great job of getting the fans to support him and criticise the club for not spending money when the chairman's statement suggested that we have been spending some money um, and maybe we spent too much. So maybe that, that maybe that pissed the chairman off as well in terms of all those comments in the media. So yeah, in terms of where we are financially, it, it could be that long-term this is going to help us because we're spending maybe a bit less money on wages in terms of for staff and we can spend more money on players. But I think the short-term problem is what the chairman's alluded to, we've got financial problems, which he said will be fixed, but is that going to be fixed by having a less playing budget, Chris? It's going to be interesting to see what happens um, with on that side. And unfortunately, because of the way the financial accounts work, we won't, we won't know for a while. Yeah, this is all supposition, isn't it? It's very hard for us to know what's going on financially behind the scenes and indeed what's going on with Steve Cottrell and what's happening right now. It's a, And I understand that I'm sure there's things that the club can't talk about for perfectly reasonable reasons. You know, this, this stuff's complicated. What Andy said about there's probably some kind of compensation arrangement being agreed. I mean, that's that's something I've speculated on as well. I mean, my imagination of what's going on here is that you try both, both parties have probably got lawyers involved trying to come to some kind of agreement that's amicable. Well, not amicable is the wrong word, they're acceptable to both. Because I'm sure Steve Cottrell has a year left on his contract and he's not, so why would he resign? Why would he walk away for nothing when he's, in, if he is on a reasonable wage, which I agree he probably is, he's, he's in, under the way football works, he's entitled to some money. And I'm sure the chairman doesn't want to, given the, he seems to, he seems from his statement to be suggesting we've overspent on the budget, he doesn't want to be equally giving Cottrell a big wedge to walk away with. So, Somehow they, they have to meet from those different positions in the middle somewhere. And that's why I had imagined the delayers. I could be totally wrong on that. You know, we could find out next, next week that all is fine and he's still here. But I'd be highly, highly surprised. And it feels to me like, yeah, that there has to be some kind of agreement soon and we have to move on one way or another. And if that means we have to spend a little bit of money to let him go, well... I don't see what other choice the chairman has got because that is one where Steve Cottrell's got him over a barrel, really. He has a contract and they have they have to honour that contract. Uh, any shred of doubt for me that he was going to come back was removed when the statement of the arrival of Mickey Moore was released because it doesn't once reference the manager. And that is strange, isn't it? Um, yeah. If you're going to retain the manager. So I think any lingering hope that Cottrell was going to be around next year was removed from me at that point. And it wasn't much at the time anyway, but yeah, it's definitely not. It would have been an easy line to put in, wouldn't it? A a natural line to say, or Mickey Moore to say it, or the club to say it. Mickey Moore is looking forward to working with Steve Cottrell. Yeah, and to Chris's point, that's definitely an indication. Yeah, Yeah. definitely an indication lawyers are involved, isn't it, now? Because Because of the way it was worded, I think. Yeah, I went from... I was 95% plus certain he was going to leave. I heard that Steve Koch was calmed down a little bit since the last day of the season to, yeah, putting these kind of pieces together. I think I'm edging. I was Before we said, I think he's going to leave. But yeah, I think it's, it's becoming more than likely now. Talking of the finances, a dream scenario potentially could be for the chairman is that Steve Kotra gets offered another job. Andy, do you think is that likelihood? Do you think there's a high likelihood that would happen? Could Steve Kotra, do you think, get offered another job in League One? Yeah, I think he'd walk into a job in in the in League One and potentially high end League Two. Yeah, absolutely, and that would be a, a preferred result for both parties, I would imagine. Um, now, whether that's part of the matrix, who knows? But yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think he's finished with football. You look at the jobs that are available out there right now, Andy. You know, you've got Reading, and Cottrell's name has been in the betting for that. But I think there's a a guy called Chris Davis, who I don't even know who he is to be honest, and Chris Wilder. They're the hot favourites for that job. 
Uh, Blackpool still haven't appointed. I think Cottrell's in the betting for that, but Gary Bowyer's the favourite for that one. And then in League Two, you've got MK Dons, which are, I, I would ordinarily say that's a great fit for Cottrell, and I could imagine him getting that job, but he is an ex-Wimbledon player, and somebody made the point to me on social media that would he really go there because he's a man of principle, and as an ex-Wimbledon player, would he go and manage MK Dons? I, I don't, I've never heard Steve Cottrell's views on MK Dons, but I thought that was a fair point for why that might not happen. So while there are clubs out there who would appoint him, you just wonder if the right job is out there right now, if there's an actual job he could get right now, because those are the three I can think of that are currently on the market. Yeah, it'd be a nice exit for him. He obviously had that period under COVID. Um, he's done well as a manager. We've had steady progress. Um, obviously finishes the top half now as well. If he if he left and got another uh, another club, I'm sure a lot of fans will be upset about this. He's got a very high approval rating. But if you've got another job, that would be nice for him as well. And yeah, good for him to continue his his career um, as a football manager. Um, and for me, I think it's interesting that we still have this doubt about him as a, as a football manager. Now, whether Mickey Moore has any doubt or not is a big one because are we going to be playing three at the back? Are we going to be playing what different formation are we going to be playing? And obviously, we need to start recruiting players for the manager. Shrewsbury Town, apart from Steve Cottrell, ironically, um, it's taken us weeks to recruit a football manager in the past. So there is a long list of actions um, for Mickey Moore to, to get on with. One is obviously the Tainus has been done. And uh, maybe to ask this question to you, Andy, do you think Steve Cottrell's fingertips are on the retain list? Hmm. Yes, I did, yeah. Uh, I yeah, did I thought it. so too. Yeah. Chris, what Just, do you think? Honestly, uh, I don't, if I'm honest. I, well, I'm sure he had his views, and I think his list would have been the same, similar, if not exactly the same. But uh, to me, to me, if they really are trying to freeze him out, why would he be involved in the retain list? That doesn't make yeah. sense to me. Either either he's either he's staying and he was involved in the retain list, or he's going and he wasn't. I don't quite see how he could be going but doing the retain list. Yeah. What do you so you think he was? What what made you think we'll go on to the retain list in more details? This is a nice segue into that, Andy. So what what makes you think he he was? So I suppose from my point of view, it's more about the management team was involved in the retain list. So his views um Aaron's views and then obviously Dave Longwell's views as well so I think that's a, a combination of and I think they will have been on the same page so whether or not they relied on the other two and and excluded you know Steve then I don't know but that would be my view that the management team had a had a strong hand in that retain list just given around the the young players in particular I'd say Andy as well you mentioned uh Wilbraham there and Longwell I'd say Longwell especially because I suppose Wilbraham is very much Cottrell's man he brought him in Longwell was at the club already and he's the one I'd imagine, even if Cottrell goes, would almost like almost certainly stay in some capacity because he's he's part of the club now, as it were. And especially he knows those young players better than anybody because he was running the academy. So I'd be very surprised if uh, Mickey Moore didn't at least have a conversation with Dave Longwell, especially if if not any of the others. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And then um, just kind of finishing on the manager, I had a good question from Adam Powell on Twitter, and he said. Who do you think should be on our, uh, our shortlist if Steve Cottrell was to go? A proven lower league man, a young manager moving into management, or a non-league gaffer looking to progress? Uh, so I'll start with you, Andy. If you if Steve Cottrell goes, um, well, actually, also, actually, would you like Steve Cottrell to stay? Um, but then if we are to move on, what kind of a manager would you like to see us sign? It's interesting, wasn't it? Because I think most of the recent appointments that go back in the last sort of 15, 20 years of Shrewsbury history there's always been a long list of potential candidates um I haven't seen one list at this juncture so 
Um, I'd love to have a, a list of names in front of me that you could sort of tick and, and cross against. Somebody mentioned um, the guy Appleton, who was manager at Blackpool and Lincoln, wasn't he? And he did a short period at West Bromwich. And that would get a resounding no from me. Um, but apart from that, I would be inclined to... Um, hmm. Contacts are the most important thing for me, Ollie, um, and the ability to lead uh, a team of people, those two qualities over everything else, whether the, the age doesn't come into it, reputation and all that side of it, it doesn't really come into it. I think we have to be of a certain ilk. So the, the team spirit that we had last year is vitally important to a club like ours and the togetherness um, and that ability to lead that is is vitally important. But married to that, I think, contacts will be vitally important now director of football fits that bill doesn't it so it doesn't have to be the be all and end all um but yeah that's where i am names wise and i couldn't throw any names at you right now um uh so yeah you you mentioned contacts then andy the point i was going to come in and make you almost touched on at the end there with our new model i'm not sure if that is as important as it once was because in theory the director of football brings those contacts with him so for me the remit is an excellent coaching tactician somebody you could come in run that first team and actually produce a football team on the pitch that one entertains us and two wins football matches you look at other what other clubs with directors of football have done in recent times and there's a trend for going for academy coaches or coaches from big clubs who maybe want to test themselves at management level so you know Cheltenham themselves did that with Michael Duff obviously he was an ex-player of theirs and that gave them an in for grabbing him and they took him from Chelsea and he's proved to be a big success and then you've got uh, Ipswich Town have done it in the season just finished with Kieran McKenna they took him from Manchester United and he's worked in in, in a successful way and they were names that before they were appointed not too many people would have thought of or known about so is there somebody like that out there we'd go for the one the obvious one that shouts out to Shrewsbury fans and you see it on social media people have talked about Eric Ramsey who's obviously uh, a Shropshire lad and was at our club and quite successful went on to Chelsea and is now doing a, a, a sterling job at Manchester United by all counts and seems to be highly rated there possibly he's got too big for us now you'd say and uh, he's been he was linked with Blackpool when they were still in the championship and turned that job down so would he really come and manage Shrewsbury Town I suppose the only attraction is it's it's his home county team as it were and whether it's whether he wants to come home but uh, that's the only reason I think we could get somebody like him if it was the if it was because of that connection he has to the club that he didn't have maybe to Blackpool but I'd be certainly up for somebody like Ramsey who clearly knows how to coach footballers knows what he's doing and on that side of things maybe doesn't have the contacts to sign lower league players that we a Steve Cottrell would have but that's where you hope Mickey Moore does his job and works with him to make that work so somebody like that for me would be an interesting appointment rather than just going down the, the usual merry-go-round of managers who've been elsewhere potentially failed and you're just giving another crack to because we've done that too yeah. often we've had managers that have been elsewhere and haven't been successful and we expect it to suddenly be magically different when they come to our place yeah the, I, I like Andy's comment about age doesn't matter and I think that's a, a fair comment it's about their abilities and their um, their ability as a tactician and ability to motivate um, and their almost you know their, their ability to, to manage a football team in that sense Eric Ramsey yeah, is a name that would be great uh, maybe we could maybe do a special pull and emotional pull. We could get him back. And interesting on contacts, he'd obviously have contacts at Man United in the Premier League, and potentially yeah. also maybe be a, a great attraction and a selling point to go to 
Premier League academies and get their players. So maybe he's got good contacts on that way. Not the old school tactic contacts in terms, you know, knowing players, um, but in terms of you know youth players and stuff. That would be an interesting angle. Um, and obviously Matt Sadler was a name that sometimes is also spoke about, but he's now the, the Warsaw manager. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to to understand which route we go down in terms of manager. Um, and something to keep an eye on um, and be interested to get everyone's opinion on whether they think Steve Koch will be the manager or not. We can't have so, a manager conversation, Ollie, without saying, what about Paul Hurst, by the way? I just have to do yeah. that for the comedy value. Well, yeah. Um, Brian's departure um, potentially maybe <laughs> leads the door for, for, for um, Paul, Paul Hurst coming back. I did put a poll on, would you take Paul Hurst back? And I got a, quite a resounding no. And yeah, he's, the, the, I think the fact that he didn't do that well at Ipswich and he's doing well at Grimsby, but... Yeah, I don't think that the clamour for Paul Hurst is what it once was. No, but again, it's, we don't make the decision, do we? And I, I don't no. know if it's true, but my understanding is that Roland Witchley has very much forgiven him and the the anger with Paul Hurst was more from Brian Caldwell. And as you said, Brian Caldwell's left. So uh, would Roland Witchley like to have Paul Hurst back? I, I, don't, I, I'm just, I can't see him leaving Grimsby again and I can't see it happening, but I'm just saying that it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's stranger things have happened. So moving on, uh, let's look at the retain list. Um, so Juju Town announced their retain list actually earlier than I expected. I think it came on Thursday. I think most people were expecting Friday or even Saturday in terms of hitting the deadline. So what happened? Um, contracts were extended um, for Leahy, Nurse and Udo. Uh, I don't think anyone was surprised with those three. Um, but Ryan Bowman's contract um, was extended. Um, was that a surprise for you, Andy? Yes, to be blunt. <laughs> I, I, there was no surprises for me um, in the overall list, but the, I, just the two for me was uh, Elliot Bennett. Whilst his playing days might be coming towards a, an end, I think he, he offers a lot more as, a, as an individual um, and as a personality. So I was I was quite surprised at that, particularly given the sort of um, the turnover that we've got at the top end of the uh, club. Um, and, and Ryan Bowman was the other one. I just didn't see what he, what he adds um as a, as a League One striker, that, that's my thing. I think he's a, a solid professional, uh, a solid player that, that did some good things last season. He's done some good things since he signed. But for me, he's a he's a League Two uh, striker. So that's just my personal view. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Bowman, for me, I put on Twitter, he's my biggest surprise. And Bowman, for me, um, I don't think he's a League One a League One striker. Now, some people did say that you know you need depth. I think it was Dan um, from the pod that said on Twitter that you need depth in your squad, and maybe that's maybe that's the reason our rationale for it um, to add some depth into the squad. But I was surprised about Bowman. Um, what was your view, Chris, on the those players that had their contracts extended? Uh, well, first of all, I agree entirely on the others. I Daniel Udo, Luke Leahy, George Nurse—they're all obvious ones, aren't they? Nurse and Udo have obviously got to prove their fitness now, but you know we've got to give those players a chance. We all saw what Daniel Udo did the season before last for us, you know, 15 goals that season, and he's still only in his mid-20s. So I'm very much looking forward to having him back and looking forward to seeing if he can pick up where he left off. Uh, Ryan Bowman, I'm probably a little bit more relaxed about it than you two. Um, my thinking on Ryan Bowman, his first season with us, he scored 13 goals, which wasn't a bad return at your first season at that level. There's no doubt he's taken a step back this year and he hasn't performed as well. He obviously hasn't played regularly. 
you don't always know what's going on in someone's life. I don't know if there's been reasons for that off the pitch that have affected him, but I don't know what we're paying him. But if he's not costing us all that much, there might be a bit of thinking, especially with apparent the apparent budget restraints we're on. If they see him as a squad striker, they might be thinking, are we actually going to get anyone better for the same money? And they might be saying the answer to that might be no. So the thinking is, Let's keep him in the squad. And if he does kick on again, then great. If not, he's a squad option and hopefully we'll recruit other strikers in the summer. So, Because our squad, even with him, is down to about, I think it's 10 players now, or is it 11 players? So there's plenty of room in that squad for a few new faces this summer. So uh, I, I was relatively relaxed about it. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. It's a nice segue. I was going to talk about who's actually contracted. Um, so in terms of players who've got contracted the next season, we've got Morosi, Dunkley, Flanagan, um, nurse, all those four on a one-year deal. Shipley's got two years left, and then we've got Leahy and Bayless. We've got O'Brien, who we need to talk about. Bowman, Odo, and Bloxham has also got two years left, and also in addition, Dunkley, Bayless, and Bloxham have got an extension option on them as well. So eleven players, Andy. Not a bad starting point for Mickey Moore. We've had worse, haven't we? <laughs> Let's be honest. We've had worse starting positions, um, but I think it is it is important that you get that core of guys together as early as you possibly can, particularly for the start of pre-season. I think that's really key. So the next sort of four or five weeks are going to be crucial for us. I think. Yeah, it's crucial that we get enough players into do pre-season properly, and that was one of the criticisms if everyone remembers going back um, two seasons, two summers ago, that everyone was really critical of, of Steve Cottrell in terms of recruitment, and we didn't get enough players in quick enough. And even the, his first full season, we didn't really have enough players. Um, and we've talked at length on this podcast about not having enough players. So it's been really fascinating to see what Mickey Moore does in terms of squad depth um, and the players he, he recruits. So players released, um, as you mentioned. Um, sorry, actually, before we do that, players we offer contracts to. We've offered um, a contract to Harry Burgoyne um, and also we've offered a contract to Matt Pennington. But um, I've been told, I've been heard that he's going to Portsmouth. I think it's highly likely that both don't accept those contracts, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it'd be nice if Harry Begoyne could stay. Um, he seems like a good backup goalkeeper and he seems a great player, uh, you know, in terms of that community club. But yeah, Pennington, um, you suspected what he'd go to as Portsmouth are, uh, a team in the top half of League One and a team looking for promotion. Yeah, I think he's definitely gone. I think there's a chance that Begoyne stays, but uh, I think it's highly unlikely that Pennington signs on dotted line. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Um, and then in terms of players that we released, we've mentioned Elliot Bennett. I think it's a shame that he's he's he hasn't stayed. I think it's interesting. I, that's where I some one of the examples where I think Steve Cottrell had a play. I don't know whether Bennett was not playing at the last part of the season because he wasn't fit, or because he was getting a bit older and Steve Cottrell didn't want to play him. But I thought his absence from the team was quite strange. So she was on the bench quite a bit, but maybe he was just being a good pro and being on the bench, he wasn't really quite fit enough. I think that's a, that's a miss. I think he's a superb pro. I think for any young lad out there watching Model Professional, I think he's the example of it. I think yeah. he carried several injuries through the course of the season and manned it up and sucked it up and, you know, either turned up on the pitch or on the bench. And um, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think he was a model you know. pro. Yes. Oh yeah, I really like that. And also, he's over the over Steve Cottrell's period. He's probably been our most reliable player. He's probably our bestest, one of the best decision makers we've had in the squad. Um, he's been a, a great addition. Yeah, I agree. And then other players that have have gone. Um, so we got Pike um, has gone. So obviously, Pike had a, a really good season actually in terms of you know what our expectations were at the start of the season. I think it's fair to say he has a good season. Hopefully, he gets picked up. And then a bunch of youngsters uh, have been released. 
Um, so Bevan and Park, Craig, Barlow and Caton um, have been released. Um, and there's been quite a bit of debate about players going. And um, yeah, we're going to we're going to use Caton as maybe the example to have this discussion on. And he's been obviously probably the, the biggest discussion point on Twitter. Um, potentially, I've been a bit harsh to him as an individual, but that's not my intent um, at all. Um, I'm just kind of looking at the facts and looking at this from a, a football perspective. Caton has been potentially not developed the, to the best of his opportunities in terms of being on the bench for Shooter Town for such a long time and not going out on loan. Um, so I think that's maybe something that's maybe held him back. But he did go on loan to Chester and he's done okay. Um, if he is a striker, we don't exactly know. I believe he's a striker. He's played up front for Chester. Um, he scored one goal every 300 minutes for Chester and Chester are playing in the National League North. Um, there's been quite a few um, tweets and a lot of discussion online. And there's one I'm going to use from um, Tubes the Shrew, where he says, Caton did well at Chester. Surely it makes sense to offer him another year. Look at a lone, lonely amount again to a conference to league one side. I don't know, Andy, what's your view on that, on, on the youngsters? Are you surprised the youngsters have been released? Um, no, is, is the honest answer. Um, but there's two parts to it. Firstly, you know, all, all of the players that have been released are good football players. You don't get professional contracts if you're not a good football player. They've been they've had some excellent grounding coming through the academy and um, being involved in and around the first team. But I, I always think with with young players in particular, you've got to have something either a little bit different or a little bit special in your armory to get exposure at first team level. Um, and whilst they've all been solid and, and good players, it's I don't think we've seen that from any of them. Um, now, Caton's been on loan. If he was at that level, I think his loan period would have been at somewhere at League Two level or at conference level initially. So the fact that he was loaned out to Chester would indicate, OK, it might be closer to home for him. But certainly, um, I think that's an indication of where his level's at for me. Yeah, what would you say on that, Chris? Uh, Charlie Kane, uh, to be fair to him at uh, Chester, my understanding, he hasn't, he hasn't played out as an out-and-out striker. They they play a guy called Kurt Willoughby up front and uh, Caton's played to the wide of him. Uh, so he's played from a wider position and certainly Chester fans think Chester fans think he's done really well there and he's he's impressed. I was I, I guess I'd expected him. He was, it's one that surprised me. I thought that loan was potentially going to earn him a contract and a, and a chance to either put uh, compete with us or go on a better loan next season but equally you know we don't we haven't had a chance to see him Shrewsbury don't have a reserve team he's hardly appeared in the first team so I don't feel well qualified to judge these people I'd like to think Dave Longwell was involved in those conversations and if Longwell who does know him well feels that he's not good enough and not ready then I can accept the decision but you know Caton I, I think he's one that has got a chance maybe not of getting back to our level but he's certainly got you know he'll probably end up at Chester now he did really well there probably push on towards the National League at some point and maybe up into League Two as well you know he looks to me like the, the pick of the bunch in terms of potential because no one else has had a loan anywhere near that level you know Cade Craig went to Telford but Telford were a different beast to Chester City last season you know Telford were a really struggling side so it's a, I, I feel sorry for him and we all want to see homegrown players coming through but that's maybe a topic for another pod in terms of how our academy hasn't really delivered products for us in quite a long time now. We had it's a while since we had an established player come through and actually stay in the squad. So yeah, I, I suppose we've got Tom Bloxham at the minute, but he's he's taken a step back this year, so he's got that comfort of another two years on his contract. So we ha- he's got he's got time to prove a, you know to make his case still, I suppose. But yeah, it's a shame, but 
I trust the decision made as long as the right. If, if it was just Mickey Moore saving money, then I feel a bit sorry for some of them. But if Dave Longwell has said, yeah, these lads aren't up to it, then that's fair enough. Yeah, and all these players develop at different rates, don't they? I can remember when we released um, McAtee going back a few years. I didn't think there was a player there, but he's done you know, he's done fantastically well at Grimsby, hasn't he? And he's got himself a move. Is it down to is it Luton? Is it that he's got his move to? Yeah, so yeah, he's at Luton. Uh, yeah, I think you you know going going back even further, the likes of Bradshaw. I always thought there was something you know very good there, but um, we, we haven't seen it yet. But it's not to say that we won't see it over the next two or three years. So. Yeah, I think one thing just like to add is yeah, Longwell's obviously had a, I'd assume has played a part in this as well. And also, you know, we've been rating Steve Cottrell as, as a great football manager for us. Surely he's good at talent spotting. You know, he made the decision to keep Dan and Doe. No one really expected that to happen. So I think. You know, let's assume that Steve Cottrell is has played a part in this as well. You know, he would obviously would have shared his feedback with Longwell for the last two years on some of these players. So even if Steve Cottrell was involved, Longwell would have known the opinion of the manager. So while um, it's a shame, yeah, I think that's the emotion, isn't it, that the fans are sharing is that we want to see our youth players come through. There's nothing prouder than seeing a youth player come from, not even from Shropshire, but even more so from the area, come through the team, get into the first team and, and play for, for Shrewsbury Town. You know, if you think of Dave Edwards and, and players of that ilk, you know, they they are um, special players in the, in the minds of the fans. So I can understand why the fans want to see youth players come through. Unfortunately, it hasn't happened again. Talking of the academy, we mentioned earlier on the under-15s team's doing really well. It takes a really long time for a youth coach um, and Dave Longwell in his role to develop players and bring them through. So hopefully we start seeing some players come through in the first team in the next few years. But um, yeah, we do need to see a few more players from the, from the youth team make it into the first team. No, I was just going to say on that, Ollie, I think it's important that we start shining that light, though. People need to see that pathway when you're attracting young talent at that level. They need to be able to throw some names out and say, look at these guys. These are people that have gone through to the first team and have played 50 league games. You know, the, the more it goes on, the longer it lasts where you've got years where people go in, go out, go in, go out. The, the harder it is to attract talent at that bottom level at the younger age. So I'd just be really mindful of that as well. And we have lost a couple of our brighter stars at the younger age already who've gone to different clubs. So, yeah, just be, I think it's an important pivotal few years for the club on, in terms of academy development. Yeah, it's a really good point. If you don't think you've got a pathway and another club comes along, you're probably more likely to leave. There was a young lad who was 14, wasn't there, who went to Man United about six months right, ago? Yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah. Yeah, you have some exposure to the Shrewsbury Town um, Youth Academy. Do you, do you get the sense that it's, it's now you know, well-resourced and got some good coaches in, in that system? So hopefully we, you know, we can bring some players through. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I'd be very hopeful, yeah. So we had a question from Killy Shrew. And he said, what's your thoughts on the future of Aidan O'Brien? Um, and if Steve Cotter goes, does that increase the chance of him staying? So what's your thoughts on, on Aidan O'Brien, Andy? Uh, I don't think he's ever coming back, <laughs> no. regardless of whether Cotter's here or not. I think there was obviously a, um, a disagreement there, absolutely. But I also think the... Um, the geography part plays a big part for him, isn't it? I think he's yeah. much happier in um, Gillingham, and I think you'll. I, I, I don't think there's any chance. I think there's, yeah, no chance of him coming back, unfortunately. And it's obviously quite a, a difficult time for a player, even a player like Aidan O'Brien, who's got a contract. Um, so he's, you know, got a under. He's not really sure what's going to happen with his future, and also the player's been released. And you're a professional football, Andy. It must be quite a tough time. Um, so she got a mortgage and kids. Yeah, it's an unsettling time. I think as. Um, as I alluded to earlier, I think particularly clubs where you are 
not involved in promotion or relegation, you, you sort of find out your fate a little bit earlier. You get all the indicators. Um, and whilst you may not have those one-to-one conversations, I think you pretty much know your destiny before the year's end. I think, you know, we talked about those three young lads there for Shrewsbury. The fact that they weren't used or were used very sparingly at the end of the season probably told them all they need to know in terms of whether they were getting another contract or not. Because if you're not being used when you've got 11 fit, fit pros, then you, you pretty much know your fate at that point. You know, you know. for me, it was... Um, I can remember having a conversation with Neil Warnock. He was manager at um, Torquay. And um, he was very blunt. You know, he would tell you your strengths and weaknesses or tell you where he thought you were. And that was pretty much it, really. You know, you got offered a short-term deal or take it or leave it. And it's... Um, it's a cutthroat business. I think people don't see that side of it, don't they? And people have got mortgages to pay and families to feed and the, the geography part of it is, is is quite difficult. I was trying to think of a player last week, actually, who just... Um, oh, it was um, it's Bryn Morris at Grimsby. He literally just sold his house in Hartlepool. He's obviously a friend of mine and he's gone to live in Grimsby, uprooted his family and at the end of the year he got released. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? And people don't see that side of it. Uh, it's it's very difficult. It's not a it's not a stable industry, is it? You know, you're one injury away from not being able to pay your bills and all that side of it. So I think whilst there's a lot of glamour and glam attached to it, it there's a there's a harsh reality for some. And um, I'm sure they're all busy at the minute on the phones or with with you know with their agents or not with agents or trying to get agents or trying to speak to clubs and negotiate deals here, there, and everywhere. But that's been going on for the last four or five weeks, Holly. And that's the point I was making around bringing people in, that those conversations are are happening regularly. You know, and I think often it's players at the club that will that attract you to it. If you look at our sort of map last year, I think it was um, Lee, he would have spoken to a few of his mates and attracted people in and that side of it. It's, it's yeah, it's, um, it's a very busy time of year for footballers, both in and out of contract, unfortunately. Yeah, it's really interesting, Andy. It just shows, doesn't it? It's uh, you, that human side of it. And, you know, you feel for those players this week who we've let go. I suppose Elliot Bennett's at the other, at the end of his career, as it were, and is probably in financially in a pretty good place because of the club he's played for, the clubs he's played for. But then some of those young lads, it's really unsettling, isn't it? Because they're, they're, they're facing the prospect of, are they going to have to look for a job outside of football or... Are they going to have to go part-time and still look for a job outside of football? Because, you know, we've, how many Shrewsbury players have we seen get released and end up in the League of Wales or something? So that's where you'd imagine it's possible that the Kay Craigs and Josh Barlows may be heading at some point in the near future. So, yeah, tough time for these lads, tough time. And Yeah, you, you wish them well because all of them have done their best in the Shrewsbury shirt. You know, they've all given their best over several years through the academy or whatever to make it. And we hope they do. We, I hope they can kick on somewhere. And it, it's not to, not to be with us, but, you know, good luck to them. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, good luck to them. Hopefully, they'll do well. And yeah, you know, for for the few some of the players that we release, and you know, we don't really hear from them again. There's always those ex- odd examples: the Andre Grays, the Bradshaws, who who push on um, and have a great career. And maybe one of them, and maybe one one of them will be will do that. That's be interesting to see how, how they progress. Kind of bringing this podcast to a close. So, do you think it will be May or even June? I think we'll still be in get into June before we hear about the manager, Chris. Or do you think we can? This can all get these. We'll need to get sorted soon. Uh, well, my expectation is we'd have to hear in the next. Surely, surely we're going to have to hear in the next week or so. Surely they need a, a manager in post that the public knows about. Because yeah, that presumably impacts recruitment as well. Because if you're a player thinking about where to go, you you want to know who you'd be working for, etc. 
But at the same time, I suppose, yeah, they may already have that in place. They may already know what's happening. And it's just a case of when they actually want to tell us. And that could be to take us right back to the beginning of the pod, as it were. That could be all down to what's going on with lawyers or whatever behind the scenes. Uh, I'm sure there's reasons why we haven't been told. It's very frustrating, but I can't believe Roland Witchley's just sitting there thinking, you know, screw the fans. I'm not going to tell them. I don't want to tell them. I'm sure there's reasons for it. So it's frustrating. But yeah, we've got to hear soon, you'd think. We've just got to. It can't go into June, can it? That's if he goes into June, um, yeah, that doesn't bode well for the rest of the season. But let's be positive. Fingers crossed we have a, a good new manager soon. Um, if Steve Cotter is to leave, um, I would like him to stay. I think that would be helpful and um, to have that bit of stability with the manager. So, yeah, fingers crossed we'll, we can get some signing soon and, and everything will settle down. And, yeah, this period of instability will be um, will be in the past. So thanks, Chris and Andy, for joining me on the podcast this week. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. Cheers, Ollie. Cheers, and thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back again soon.